0: Welcome to the Beech Grove United Methodist Church Podcast, where you can hear our Sunday morning sermons in audio form and take them wherever you go. This week is the last week in our Three Simple Rules series, and we will be looking at the final rule in this Three Simple Rules, attend to the ordinances of God. And we are going to dive into this story of Jesus and Peter having this interaction in after Jesus's resurrection in John 21. A reminder that our services are available in their entirety on our YouTube channel, which is linked in the podcast notes. We would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast so that new sermons come into your feed as soon as they are available. You can subscribe using your favorite podcasting app. And if you are feeling generous, we would love it if you would help us by giving of your tithes and your offerings to the mission and ministries here at Beach Grove, the work that God is doing right here through this community. There is information for donations in the podcast notes, and we invite you to find us on Facebook and Instagram to follow along with all the fun things happening at Beach Grove, whether you live in Suffolk, Virginia or not. We hope you enjoy this week's message, and please don't forget to share it with others. The scripture lesson comes from John 21, verses 15 through 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time, Jesus said, second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt to go wherever you wished but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After he said this to him, follow me. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you, that through your word for us this day, we would continue to grow in your love and grace, continuing to see and understand your place here in this world and our place in creation. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So today we wrap up this series on these three simple rules, right? Three simple rules, three simple weeks, short, sweet, and to the point, right? And as we wrap up these simple rules, we begin to see the way in which these rules fit within our understanding of society. Right, John Wesley laid forth these rules that formed the societies in the early Methodist movement, whether it was in England or America, and he saw these three rules as an important understanding that Christ was at the center of these communities. And Wesley believed that with Christ at the center of the communities, our hearts, our minds, our spirits would be transformed. That with the presence of Christ through these understandings, we would begin to be transformed ourselves and that we would transform through our community, effectively almost becoming different people. Seeing the world not through our own eyes, but seeing the world through the lens of the Spirit through the eyes of God. Right? These rules were the fruits of our belief in God, and even more so, a measuring of our growth and maturing in faith. That is, when folks in the early Methodist movement lived by these rules, these were the ways that Wesley pointed to God's sanctifying grace working within them. We'll, we'll get to that word in a little bit. But I want to reflect back on where we have been as we've looked at the first two of these three rules, right? In the first week, we explored how God calls us to do no harm. Reminded of the basis that as human beings, we are called to love unconditionally. Right? There's a word we've talked about a lot as we've gone through this series. That we love our fellow human beings by nature of their create of their inheritance, of their ...inherited creation in the image of God. Then last week we explored how we are called to do good, right? Not only are we, not, are we called to just not do harm, right? To just, at our very basic nature, be nice to people. But in that same understanding, we are also called to actively do good... ...when good needs to be done. Not only are we called to not cause harm and pain... ...but when we see harm or pain or affliction being done throughout the world we are called to be a source of healing and reconciliation for those people in those places and in those situations. As people of faith, that is not good enough, though, to just do the work that God calls us to do, right? Because we're missing one really, really, really important thing in all of this. We're missing the very basic nature in which faith is not one single moment. Faith is a lifetime of growing, of maturing, of moving into this perfect relationship with God. <clears throat> and thus enters this last rule that we have. Right? There's a reason that there are these three rules. As I mentioned last week, they almost follow this, uh, this initiative that Micah got from God. This understanding that we receive through Christ to love God, to love neighbor, to love ourselves. And we receive in that this understanding that as we continue to grow and understand that we see this love for God grow. And our scripture today gives us this great insight of how we love God. And I mean, of how God loves us. Sorry, let me get that right. Of how God loves us. And then the nature of how that love should be and how we are called to reciprocate it. But you see, the difficult thing is that much like a lot of other things as humans, we try and put our own spin on things. And we see within our scripture today this way in which this back and forth between Jesus and Peter begins to represent this relationship that we have with God. And yet, also letting us know that our faith is not one moment but it is a continued growth in God's love as we go through. This is probably one of my most favorite passages of Scripture. Um, one, it's, it's just a cool little interaction, right? It's, it's a great interaction when it talks about, you know, Peter saying, I mean, Jesus saying, do you love me? Peter saying, yeah, I love you. You know, not only is it just a cool little interaction between Jesus and Peter, but, like, this is also one of those moments when you're reading Scripture in English when it is terrible to read Scripture in English, because as we look at this passage, right? When you look at this passage, what does it say, right? Let's think about it for a second. What does it say? Jesus asks, do you love me how many times? Three times. And Peter is like, I love you how many times? But you see, in our English language, all we see is love, right? And so in our, in our English minds, we're like, oh, Jesus is just trying to, we either conceptualize it as, oh, Jesus does it three times because three is like the perfect number, it's the Trinitarian number, or like Peter's just trying to, I mean, Jesus is trying to just hit home a point for Peter that we need to be reminded. But, but here's the thing, and this is, this is one of the things that I could, this is one of the reasons that I often tell people, this is why we often need to go deeper into scripture than just reading it and taking it at face value. This is like one of the biggest passages that really tells us that we need to do that. Why? Now here's, I get to nerd out for a little bit. And so excuse me, um, if this goes too far, you can email me later. Um, But hopefully it's not. Because when we dive into the Greek, we see that this verse is a lot more complicated than it seems. You see, in, in Greek, especially the Koine Greek that is used to write the New Testament, there are eight different words that we translate into love in our English language. And four of those, four of those eight words are used multiple, multiple times throughout the Bible. And yet when we read the Bible, all we see is love. And this becomes one of the the translating issues that we see in this passage. But it also becomes a learning point for us. Because when we dive into this passage, we see what happens here. You see, Jesus asks Peter, do you love me, three times. But here's the thing. The first two times Jesus asks, do you love me, he uses a different word than the third time. The first two times Jesus asks Peter if he loves him, Jesus uses the word agape. Right? we've, We've talked about that word before, agape, that unconditional, that sacrificial, that that undeserved love that we receive. But here's the funny thing. Well, not funny. Here's the insightful thing. Got to pick my words wisely. Peter doesn't respond with agape. Peter responds with a different manner and meaning of love. Jesus responds with filio, which is like a deep friendship love. Right. Philadelphia comes from the Greek word philia, the city of brotherly love. Right. This is this is why it gets interesting here, because in those first two times, Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter's like, Lord, you know that I philio you. And Jesus is like, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. This doesn't make sense. Right in our English language, it's just a back and forth, like, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Do you love me? Yeah, I love you. But you see, when we look down there in the Greek, and we see, Jesus, and we see Peter respond with this philia, we can see why Jesus then asks again the second time. And then you can almost imagine going into the third time, because here's where things get really interesting, And it seems like Peter's exasperated. No, friends, I want to say, I think Jesus was exasperated because in the third time that Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? What word do you think he uses? Anybody have a guess? He uses philio. Jesus asks, do you filio me? Jesus changes the word for love in the midst of this story. And of course, we see Peter respond, Yes, Lord, you know that I feel you, love you. And Jesus, taking every opportunity to teach his disciples something, almost then, as he closes this passage, says, I get it, Peter. I want you to feed my sheep. And then as your life goes on, you're going to realize and understand why I said agape. And you're going to come to a point where someone is going to do something against you, where you can express a sacrificial, unconditional love. Right? One of the commentaries I read this week said, Jesus is asking Peter for agape love. Agape love being the highest, most spiritual love, wherein Peter is called to love Jesus above all things and all people, including himself. But Peter, finally being honest, says to Jesus, in effect, Lord, You know that I love you, but only with brotherly love. And you can almost hear within that this nature in which Peter, I mean, he already feels bad. This this passage happens after Peter denies Jesus three times. This is a conversation that, uh, that Jesus and Peter are having after Jesus is resurrected. And so you have to think that that plays a little bit of a role in how Peter is understanding this relationship between he and Jesus. Peter feels unworthy of declaring unconditional love for Christ because he knows he has let Christ down. But Jesus knows that there is love there to express this full nature of agape love. And to me, this is Pastor Andrew, to me, I think that that's why Jesus changes the expression of love. Because he knows that's where Peter is in that moment. But he reminds Peter that that is not where he is always going to be. And friends, I think that this passage becomes an embodiment for this last rule that we have in our faith. Because it reminds us, that our relationship with God continues to grow and mature over the course of our lives of faith. But as we see in the life of Peter, we have to put in the work. Right? We can look on in the book of Acts. We can look in Peter's letters later on in the New Testament. We can look at stories from the early church, and we can see that when Peter comes away from this situation, Peter knows that this is not the end of the story, And so Peter continues to love and serve the church. Peter continues to love and serve Jesus. And so in that, Peter continues to grow in his grace and faith in God. We hear again that understanding that Jesus says, Peter, I do understand that you only love me with brotherly love now. And we see in that last portion of Scripture where Jesus says, but one day, one day, you will know and understand what it means to agape love. And there's, there is that understanding within that, that Peter then commits his life to finding that feeling. This agape love is one of God is one that we grow into. It's not something that's born just out of that moment of justification we have, because when we are justified, we are just then meeting and greeting God. We are just then acknowledging and understanding the work that God has has done in our lives just up to that point. I'm not saying we are not capable of agape love in that moment. I'm saying that there is still a lot to learn about agape love in that moment. There's still a lot to learn about what it means to love God, about what it means for God to love us, and what it means for us to love God's creation. And so it takes a life and a commitment to faith, to learning, to growing in discipleship for us to get to that point. And so what does John Wesley do when he takes this? He says, okay, here's the third rule. Attend to the ordinances of God. And I know that's a lot of stuff. Attend to the ordinances of God. Why? Because John Wesley knew that a faith without a commitment to growing and maturing in God's grace and love is an empty faith. It's a faith that will die. It's a faith that will struggle to know and understand not only our relationship with God, but our relationship with the world. And so we see in this time, when we start talking about what it means to love God, we start talking about growing in God's love. Right right now, well, not right now for many of us, because many of us have been on this journey for a long time, but when we come into that relationship, we start as these, these Christian infants Right, knowing and exploring, learning the language, beginning to develop an understanding of what it looks like. And as we look in our Methodist tradition, I move us back to this understanding of sanctifying grace. Right, we talked about the different manifestations, the different understandings of grace. Right, We have prevenient grace, this idea that God has always loved us, that God, will, that God has always loved us and will always love us. That God's love spreads across creation. And then we talk about that moment, that understanding of being justified in God's grace, the idea of knowing and understanding that God forgives us, that we acknowledge God's presence in our lives. And now that God's grace sanctifies us. That is, God's grace makes us perfect. Right? We believe in this manner of Christian perfection, not a perfection of, of purity, of spotlessness, but a perfection in the love that God has for us and in the expression that we offer it and reciprocate it back to God and through God's creation. Right? We could almost say that in meeting God is like meeting a great friend who loves us. And we begin this relationship in a filial manner. And as we continue to learn and grow about who God is, we begin to learn more about God. We see God through Jesus and through the Spirit. We know and understand the lives that God is calling us to live. But we cannot do this if we do not take those opportunities. And so when we talk about ordinances, right? And, and uh, if you look in many modern texts, this last rule will be identified as stay in love with God. But Wesley called us to these ordinances, these, these practices of faith that help us to grow, these experience, these means of grace that God that we have in our lives. I listed them for you there in, in your notes and, and, and just to label, just to name them public worship, like coming here and worshiping corporately together, hearing God's word preached, or diving deeper into it yourself. The sacrament of communion, prayer, whether private or corporate, studying of scripture. And then Wesley talked about fasting and abstinence. These are ways in which we intentionally connect with God so that we can continue to understand God in a deeper way. Connecting with God on a personal level. And it's up to us to attend to these ordinances. It's up to us to practice our faith. To practice our faith in a way that allows us to encounter God on a regular basis. Because without these practices, our faith can seem empty. Our faith can seem lost. And even to the point where we can lose the meaning behind why we even practice our faith. We can lose the meaning behind why we are called to do no harm or to do good if we do not attend to these ordinances, if we do not grow in our faith. And so we grow in our love for God. We open ourselves up to God's will in our lives. Experience the overflowing grace that God has for us. And I want to remind you all that these are not check boxes. We don't just say, oh, I've been to church, check, I've done... We do it because we know that God loves us. We do it because we want to reciprocate that love in return. We do it because as we continue down this life of faith, we know that God will continue to open our eyes, to open our hearts and to open our spirits, to grow in that agape love so that it doesn't just impact our relationship with God, but it wholly impacts the relationship that we have with the world. Amen.